Hey everyone, really quick, I just want to extend a big thank you to everybody who took me up on the buy one, give one offer for my upcoming book, More Than Money. You guys were incredibly generous. Thank you very, very much. Uh, A number of you asked if pre-ordering the Kindle version counted towards the offer, and it absolutely does. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mention that. But just know that your second copy, the the gifted copy that I'll be sending you, will be the hard copy of the book. But yes, pre-ordering the Kindle version absolutely works. Again, my buy one, give one offer will run through the end of December. In short, if you pre-order a copy of More Than Money, I will personally match your purchase and buy you a second copy that you can gift to someone in your life who you think will benefit from it. And as a reminder, no money is being made here by me or any of the authors. All net proceeds from the book are being donated back to nonprofit organizations dedicated to improving financial literacy, diversity within the planning profession, and access to pro bono financial advice. So if you want to support this project and take advantage of my offer, just go to morethanmoneybook.com pre-order your copy, Kindle or physical, and send a screenshot of your purchase to book at youstaywealthy.com. And then next month uh, in, in January, my team will reach out to grab your mailing address so we can send you the gifted copy in March when the book is officially published. So again, go to morethanmoneybook.com or just go to Amazon and search for More Than Money, uh, pre-order your copy, Kindle or physical, and then send a screenshot of your purchase to book at youstaywealthy.com. And if all of this is new to you and you missed the initial book announcement, just go back and listen to the beginning of last week's episode, uh, which was part one of our series on financial advisors. Okay, on to today's show. Welcome to the Stay Wealthy Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Schulte, and today I'm tackling part two of our series on financial advisors. Specifically, I'm breaking down the different types of advisors and who might be a good fit to work with each type. I'm also sharing some thoughts on how to think about paying for financial advice and measuring the value that you receive. So if you're ready to continue learning about the world of financial advisors and how to make sense of the different types that you can work with, today's episode is for you. For the links and resources mentioned today, just head over to youstaywealthy.com forward slash 175. These are not technical or legal terms by any means, but at the most basic level, there are five different types of financial advisors. There are full service advisors, investment managers, advice-only advisors, insurance agents, and finally, a la carte advisors. So let's go ahead and break down each one by starting with full-service advisors. Full-service financial advisors more or less do it all. They, They build and maintain your financial plan, manage your investments in accordance to that plan, and then help with all the different aspects of your financial life that we touched on in last week's episode. Tax planning, insurance planning, cash flow, coordination of retirement withdrawals, social security optimization, the list goes on. And if there's something that they don't do or they can't do, they will take on the task and the responsibility of finding the right expert for you to bring in and help. In other words, a full service advisor does all the heavy lifting so you don't have to. So with that in mind, who would be a good fit to work with a full service advisor or full service advisory firm? Well, I would say it's someone who wants to delegate everything to a professional for at least one of the following four reasons. Number one, they simply believe that a trained, experienced professional who specializes in working with people just like them will do a better job than they would on their own. 
Or number two, they recognize that they're their own worst enemy and they want someone in between them and their money to help them avoid making costly mistakes. Or maybe number three, they don't feel comfortable or don't enjoy managing any aspect of their finances on their own. It maybe stresses them out or drains their energy or even causes friction in their relationship. And then finally, maybe number four, while someone might enjoy it, they might be good at managing their own finances, they might determine at some point in their life that they want someone else to do the heavy lifting so they can go and spend the time doing the things that they love and value. One final thing I want to clear up here is that just because you delegate the majority of the work to a full service firm doesn't mean that you won't be an active participant or you won't have the opportunity to collaborate with your advisor on the work that they're doing. In fact, quite the opposite. I would argue that it's critical that you're a part of the process and you're actively engaged. It's helpful for us, the advisor, to get your feedback, to listen to your ideas and, and take your preferences and questions into consideration. As I always say here on the podcast, there is the textbook answer and then there is your answer. And your answer largely hinges on your involvement, your collaboration, and your communication when we're making these important decisions about your money and your investments. So the first type of advisor is a full service financial advisor. The next type is what I'm calling an investment manager. Investment managers do exactly that. They manage your investments in return for a fee. That's it. No planning work, no custom financial advice, no periodic review meetings to talk about your financial needs, goals, and concerns. You hire an investment manager to manage some or all of your investments. Now, some investment managers might have one single investment strategy that they specialize in, like ESG investing or small cap or international, or they might build custom portfolios based on your desired level of risk and return. Also, as you might already be thinking, some investment managers are living and breathing people, while others might be computer algorithms, i.e. robo-advisors like Betterment or Wealthfront. The primary reason that someone might hire an investment manager is that they don't have any planning needs or they already have their planning needs covered and they just need or want a professional to invest their money based on the outcome of their plan and or their desired level of risk and return. One way to find an investment manager, if you think that this is fitting for you, is to contact your custodian like Schwab or Fidelity. Schwab and Fidelity, they partner with hundreds of investment managers around the world, some of which are in-house and proprietary and others that are third party. They partner with these investment managers around the world to connect them to retail investors like yourself that are looking for professional money management help. Now, the one thing to keep in mind here is that hiring an investment manager is like taking a prescription. If you haven't had a proper diagnosis first, if you haven't gone through a comprehensive planning process, then you probably shouldn't be hiring an investment manager. We want the plan, the diagnosis, to drive the selection of our prescriptions, our investments. So while working with an investment manager isn't necessarily a bad thing or a bad option, I just want you to be careful about putting the cart before the horse and hiring one before you know where you're at, where you want to be, if you're on track to reach your goals, and if not, what's needed exactly to get you there from an investment standpoint. All right, next we have advice-only advisors. So just like an investment manager only manages investments, advice-only advisors only provide advice. They don't manage investments or implement any of the planning recommendations they make. They will tell you what you need to do, and then it's on you to go take action and implement it properly. 
For example, they might recommend that you do a $50,000 Roth conversion this year and then set you free to go take action and process that Roth conversion on your own with the custodian of your choice. Or they might suggest that you change your asset allocation and provide you with a list of securities that you need to go buy and sell in all of your different investment accounts. It's on you to actually go and buy and sell those securities. They won't process those trades for you. Working with an advice-only advisor might be like hiring a fitness expert to create a custom workout plan for you, but not actually join you at the gym to hold you accountable and help you implement the workout plan correctly week after week like a traditional personal trainer would. Or it might be like hiring a landscaping consultant to tell me what lawnmower to buy, how and when to mow my lawn, and, and how to care for other areas of my yard properly. They won't actually take care of my yard for me, but they'll tell me what I need to do to care for it properly on my own. Now, in some cases, working with an advice-only advisor can be transactional, where you pay a one-time fee to meet with them once or maybe twice, get answers to your questions, receive recommendations, and then go your separate ways and implement everything on your own. In other words, they aren't going to proactively reach out to you to see if you implemented everything correctly or reach out to you to schedule additional meetings to review your progress or loop you in on potential opportunities that could benefit your specific situation. So in some cases, it's a short-term or one-time engagement in exchange for a one-time fee. In other cases, there are advice-only advisors who have an ongoing service model where you do pay an ongoing fee for them to take you through their planning process, render advice, answer your questions throughout the year, and regularly update your plan as your life changes and evolves. Going back to my landscaping analogy, I don't know if it's a good one or not, but going back to it, it might be like an annual service contract where I pay an ongoing fee and commit to meeting with that landscaping consultant every quarter to have them evaluate my yard, tell me what else I should be doing, maybe what adjustments to make based on the time of the year, and then answer my questions as they come up. Again, they aren't doing the work for me, but they're providing me with ongoing guidance and advice. If you haven't figured it out yet, the primary reason that someone might choose to work with an advice-only advisor is that they don't need accountability or they don't need help with implementation. They just need someone to tell them what to do and maybe when to do it. They just need a professional who knows their situation to answer their questions and provide recommendations. They don't need them to actually push the buttons and implement the recommendations for them or do any of the heavy lifting. So for that reason, many people working with advice-only advisors are knowledgeable do-it-yourself investors who are very confident implementing recommendations on their, on their own. Maybe even more importantly, they enjoy managing their own finances and they enjoy implementing the planning work and that's how they want to spend their valuable time. One thing to note here for married couples is that while one spouse might be comfortable with this type of advisor relationship, there are cases where the other spouse doesn't have any knowledge about finances and would not feel comfortable implementing recommendations on their own. In that case, if a if, if the knowledgeable do-it-yourself investor spouse were to, God forbid, get hit by a bus tomorrow the other spouse would be left in the dark and left with an advisor relationship that maybe isn't fitting for them. Of course, they can go and find a new, more fitting advisor at that time if that were to happen, but that's not a situation that everyone wants to be in after losing a spouse. And for that reason, it's sometimes common to see couples, especially later on in life in retirement, to hire full service firms just to ensure that the entire family will be taken care of if something like that were to happen. 
Next up, we have insurance agents. Uh, the world of insurance is complex and confusing, and in some cases, ripe with conflicts of interest. But I think it's worth calling out here because they do serve an important role in the financial advice industry. Just like someone might only want to hire an investment manager to manage their investments, others might only need or want to buy an insurance product. They might not need or want tax planning or retirement planning or investment management or custom ongoing financial advice. They might just need or want an insurance expert, an insurance advisor to help them sort through the different insurance options, shop the market, and secure the best policy for them and then go their separate ways. It could be long-term care insurance uh, or life insurance or disability insurance or some other unique form of insurance. If you just have an insurance need and want to work with a living and breathing person to help you solve that need, then an insurance agent or insurance advisor might be the professional to consider. The challenge is that so many insurance experts and agents also hold themselves out as full-service financial advisors. So while they might lead with selling you an insurance product, in many cases, they will subsequently start inquiring about your investments that you have, that they might be able to manage, or about retirement planning needs, and offer to help you with other aspects of your financial life. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing that they want or can potentially help with other areas of financial planning. But if a financial advisor works at an insurance company, has their insurance license, and leads with insurance products and solutions, all signs kind of point towards them being an insurance expert. I mean, if I hired a landscaping expert to help me care for my backyard, and after a few months of working together, he or she mentions that they can also replace my roof or install surround sound in my house, I would probably be scratching my head a little bit too. Again, it's not a bad thing that someone wants to help with other areas of your financial life, but if they are truly dedicated to being a full service, comprehensive financial advisor, their firm and their process wouldn't be centered around insurance products. In fact, some of the best full service advisory firms in this country are not licensed to sell insurance at all. If they identify an insurance need through their planning process, yes, it's their job to shop the market to find the best policy at the best price and help you secure it, but they don't need to be licensed in order to do that. So the primary reason that someone might hire a dedicated insurance expert or insurance advisor is because they know they have an insurance need and they just want help solving that specific need. And just like investment managers, an insurance expert could be a living and breathing person, or it could be an online service, a robo advisor of sorts for insurance products. Okay, the last type of financial advisor is what I'm referring to as a la carte advisors. In short, a la carte advisors typically work with anyone and everyone and have the capability to, to provide just about any service or sell you any product that you want. You want to buy some stocks or mutual funds? They've got you covered. Need a home loan? Done. Want to buy life insurance or a bank CD or a municipal bond? They can do that too. I think about a la carte advisors more as licensed order takers, not necessarily advice givers. Uh, you need or want something, you pay them their fee or their commission and they'll do it or someone at their firm will do it. To me, the primary reason that someone would work with an a la carte advisor, and I mean this in the nicest way, I promise, the primary reason is that they simply don't know any better and they've had the wrong expectations about what a financial advisor actually does or what a proper advisor relationship looks and feels like. In fact, I'll be the first to admit that without really knowing it, I was an a la carte advisor when I first started my career. I didn't know any better. I also didn't have any expectations given that it was my first job out of school and I was just excited to have a job. But that job was really just to do anything clients or potential clients wanted me to do. 
if I met a business owner for coffee uh, who had lending needs, well, I would pull out our brochure on business lending and I would play business loan expert for the morning. If a client wanted stock tips, I would give them a copy of our buy list and our supporting material explaining uh, how somehow we know the future and have a crystal ball. If a client wanted me to sell every security in their account because they were confident that a crash was around the corner, I would take their order and I would execute those trades. It didn't matter if the person was in their 20s or in their 80s, if they were employed or retired, if they had a financial plan or never, ever, ever wanted a financial plan, I would do whatever they wanted or needed me to do as long as it meant that I kept them happy and more importantly, that I kept my job. Which leads nicely to the other reason that someone might work with an a la carte advisor, which is they simply like being in control and instructing others what to do and when to do it. And I can understand this to a certain degree. It's not always pleasant to have someone else, a total stranger, tell you what's wrong with your finances or that you shouldn't be trading individual stocks or that you need to save more money and spend less. But if you wouldn't feel comfortable telling your doctor what prescriptions to give you or an estate attorney what documents you need and how those documents should be written, then you may want to think twice about an a la carte advisor relationship or at the very least, just ensure that you've gone through a diagnosis and you have a clear plan before engaging that advisor and directing them what to do. Once again, these different types of financial advisors are not technical titles or legal terms, but if you Google types of financial advisors, you're going to get a bunch of confusing jargon in return. So my goal today was just to simplify and break down the different types in a way that hopefully everyone can understand. Because once you have an understanding of the different types and potentially have a sense of what type might be best for you, then you can begin to add other important considerations into your decision-making process when interviewing and evaluating financial advisors. And one of the most commonly discussed consideration when considering an advisor is how they charge for their services, how much they charge, and what you as the client get in return. And that's what we'll be digging into next week. But first, I do want to make a quick general comment about fees and the different types of advisors that we just talked about today. Just something to keep in mind as you digest what you learned today and as we head into next week's discussion on fees. So like most things in life, I firmly believe that you get what you pay for. There are exceptions, of course, but in general and across a large enough sample size, you should expect that the value you receive is in line or even exceeds the fees that you pay someone. With that in mind, you should absolutely expect to pay a higher fee to a full service, comprehensive financial advisory firm who specializes in helping people in your exact situation than an investment manager who only manages money or an advice only advisor who doesn't implement recommendations for you. Just like I would expect to pay a full service landscaping company who maintains every inch of my yard more than someone who just mows my lawn. In my opinion, what is most important is that fees are transparent, that they are explained in a way that you can understand, and that you feel like the fees you pay a professional are in line or exceed the value that you receive. And this next part is important. How you measure that value, not how the advisor measures their value or how they tell you to measure their value, but how you measure that value and how you measure the benefits and services that you are receiving will be wildly different than the next person. I might find value in a fully loaded, brand new luxury European car, and you might not. How we value products or services and how we align that value with the money we spend is often very personal and varies widely from person to person. So next week, my goal is to simply help retirement savers and investors 
better understand the fees that financial advisors charge and the pros and cons of these different fee schedules. Not so they can criticize advisors that have a fee structure they don't agree with and not so they can negotiate the lowest possible fee, but so that they are equipped with the knowledge and information they need to make an informed decision about hiring a financial advisor and if applicable, hiring the right financial advisor for them. Once again, to grab the links and resources from today's episode, just head over to youstaywealthy.com forward slash 175. Thank you as always for listening and I'll see you back here next week. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.